All right, 2019, here we are. Second Sunday. Life's kicking off and it's moving at a rapid rate. You'll know if you've been part of us for a while that every year we, we have a theme. We have a theme for the year that we kind of use as a compass to just check in on throughout the year and, and, and make sure that, we, that we're all heading in the same direction. And at the same time, we believe that, that it's, it's what God wants to unleash in our lives. It's, it's what God wants to really um, work into our lives throughout the year. So beyond any further ado, this year, our theme is courage. And I'm excited about that. Because I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I could do with a bit more of this. Speaking into our, our key scripture, I need to give you a bit of background. Our, our key scripture is uh, 1 Corinthians 28 verse 20. But I want to first give you a bit of, a bit of background on, on the scripture. So by the time we get into 1 Corinthians 20, um, it's speaking into the life of David. Now, the David we're talking about is the David and Goliath David. Um, little guy took out the big guy, uh, that kind of David, King David. Um, and David gets anointed as a, as a young man, but, but Saul's king, and, and, and we see that whole process. And somewhere along the line, Paul start, Saul starts to, to really dislike David, and, and it's a different Saul to the Saul in the New Testament, as I started saying that. Um, it's King Saul, the first king of Israel. And, and, and at one stage, Saul's even hunting David and trying to take him out. And David, somewhere along the line, clicks that, hey, I'm not going to mess with this. God will open the right doors at the right time. And finally, David becomes king. But David is also first the commander of, of Israel's armies and, and, and fights some incredible battles. If you ever think the Bible's boring, just go, go read the book of Samuel. Go read the book of Kings. Go read the book of Chronicles. There's some gnarly stuff that happens in there. To give you an idea, like, like and I promise this is in the Bible, but at one stage Saul, Saul tries to kill David by sending him into an absolutely impossible task. He, he, he says to him, I want you to go and fetch me the foreskins of 100 Philistines. Talk about an odd request. But that's literally what he asked him to do. So David goes out and he comes back with 200 foreskins of the Philistines. That's how gnarly it gets. So if, if you'd like some action, some blood, some gore, if you'd like any of that stuff, gentlemen... If anything's going to get you to read, go read those books. They're awesome. All right. Enough said about that. So this is David, and this is David's life. And David goes on to rule, and he rules Israel, probably the best king that Israel's ever had. And when we catch up with him here in 1 Chronicles 28, David's an old man, and he's approaching the end of his life. He's, he's approaching the end of his reign, and he's kind of busy with his succession plan with Solomon. And during this process, he starts to give Solomon advice. He starts to speak into the life of Solomon and saying, hey, you're going to have to rule, you're going to have to reign, you're going to have to lead the nation of Israel. And, and while you're doing that, there are a couple of things you need to know. 
And at the same time, what was going on here was that David so desperately wanted to build a temple for God. He, he, he looked at, at his house. He looked at his palace and he was like, man, I live in this insane building. And if I look at where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the Spirit of God was resting, like, like the, the, I look at it and it's like a shack compared to what I'm living in. So I want to build something to God that's equally as majestic. And he asks God if he can do this and God says to him, no. He says, first off, I've never lived in a house. I'll never live in a house. I'm not interested in living in a house. But I get your heart behind it, so I'll let you build it. But you won't build it. There's too much blood on your hands. We, we, but I will allow your lineage to build it. And Solomon will build my house. And here, David's busy giving Solomon his pep talk as to how to lead and how to build, and with what heart to approach it. And we catch up with, with them in, in um, 1 Chronicles 28 verse 20, and this is our key scripture for the year. It says this, And David said to Solomon, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And do the work. Be strong and courageous. And do the work. So if we look at that word courageous we, we look at the word courage i think it's important for us to kind of get a grasp as to what is courage what you know if we had to define courage how would we define it and one of the dictionaries i didn't pay attention to which one it was but one of the dictionaries said it this way it says that courage is the ability to control your fear in a dangerous or difficult situation the ability to control your fear in a dangerous or difficult situation. So what we're really saying is there that if we pay attention, courage doesn't mean that there's the absence of fear. It doesn't mean that fear is not present. It says that it's the, the ability to control our fear. It's the, it's the ability to move through our fear, to overcome our fear and still move forward. That's what courage is. So we've said fear a couple of times. What's the definition of fear? The definition of fear is that it's an unpleasant emotion. Some of you are sitting there going, that's the understatement of the year so far. I know we're only in January, but it's an unpleasant emotion. I didn't say it, the dictionary said it. So let's keep moving. An unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of harm. Interesting way it said it there. The threat of harm. Not the presence of harm, but the threat of harm. So it's important for us to get that fear is an emotion and that it's an emotion based on a threat. Um, uh, Hector said it so beautifully a couple of weeks ago where he spoke, about, uh, spoke into fear and the acronym reminded us of that acronym of fear. Fear, F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real you see folks when when so when david said to solomon be strong be courageous do the work how many of you know we can't do the work when we're gripped with fear when we're overcome by fear i cannot do the work when i can't move but he carried on to say this he said he said a little further on in that scripture same verse he says don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, David's saying, 
my very God, and we'll get into who God was to him, is with you. He will not fail or forsake you. And what a promise. What a promise. What, what David is really saying to Solomon here, if I can put it into, into today's language, he, he's really saying to him, Solomon, get the job done, my boy. Get the job done. How are you going to do it? Dig deep. Dig deep. Take courage. You're going to have to dig deep. In order to get this done, you're going to have to dig deep. Be strong. Be courageous. Dig deep. And as I say those words, dig deep, like while I was working through this, I, I really thought, you know, so often when, when I hear the words dig deep, don't you, how many of you heard that? You, you've heard people say, hey, dig deep. And whenever people say dig deep, they normally like, you know, dig deep into yourself. You know, dig deep into yourself. You know, f- dig deep into your gut and like, you know, find whatever. You know, if you really want to know yourself, if you really want to, you know, if you want to know who you are, you've got to go and you've got to find yourself. You know? like go sit with the dussies and, and smoke some fame boss because it's legal now, you know. Just like find yourself, bro. And I can't help but think to myself, it's probably the worst advice that I've ever heard. Dig deep into yourself. Go find yourself and you'll know who you are. Guys, I've dug deep into me and I haven't found much good, if I'm honest. Why? Because the book of Jeremiah tells me that the heart is deceitful and it's wicked above all else. Uh, Do I want to dig into that? I don't think so. I don't think so. If you're struggling to find yourself, maybe it's time to find God. Why? Because the word says that you're created in in His image. You're created in His image. You want to know who you are? Figure out who He is. Go find out who he is. And when you find out who God is and and who he is in your life and who you are to him, you'll find out who you are because you'll know whose you are. So when, when Solomon was told by David, dig deep, take courage, I don't believe he was saying go dig deep into yourself. I believe that what he was really saying to him was go dig deep in God. Go dig deep in God. When I say go dig deep in God, I can't help but think to myself that if I'm going to dig deep into God, I need to ensure that my relationship with God is deep enough for there to be something to dig deep into. So David says to him, hey, take courage. Be strong. Be courageous. What authority did, did David, other than the fact that he was Solomon's father, what, what authority did David have to say to anyone, hey, be courageous, be courageous? What weight was behind that? This, this, this old man speaking to a younger man, what experiences had he had in his life? What tests had he passed in order to be able to look at the young man and with, with authority and with confidence say, hey, it's time for you to take courage. Well, let's have a look at David's CV. First off, David led men of courage. David led men of courage. If you go and read in the book of Samuel, it doesn't record the, the, the record of of the mighty men of Israel, or Israel's mighty men. No, it records David's. 
mighty men. David's mighty men. There were 30 men that were, that were called out by David because he recognized something in them. They were the most hardcore soldiers you'd ever come across. He recognized them and they were known as, as David's mighty men and they did insane exploits. I mentioned one earlier that wasn't in my notes that some of you are thinking I really shouldn't have mentioned. Um, but they did these incredible exploits. And out of the 30, there were three that kind of led this bunch of hooligans. And their names are quite hardcore, so I'm going to try to get through them. Um, the three were Jashobim, Eliezer, and Shammah. Now, Jashobim, he was, he was kind of the, the, the leader of the 30, and he was the leader of the three. And it says... That in one battle, in one battle, he killed 800 warriors with his spear. Now, ladies, right now, you're sitting there and your screensavers come on. And you're hoping that there's a chick flick somewhere in this message. But just give the guys a bit of grace, just for a moment. Okay, because right now your husband's synapses are firing and he's like getting into it and he's like, there's blood, I'm in. So he killed 800 enemy warriors in a single battle with a spear. Talk about a massive society. Sorry, that just came into my mind. Next was Eliezer. And Eliezer, it said that, that in, on one occasion, him and David stood side by side or back to back wherever it went down. But it was pretty much just the two of them. The entire army fled. And it was just... Eliezer and David, side by side, and they fought off an entire Philistine army. They didn't, just, they didn't just kind of defend, they fought them off. Two men, two men, and Eliezer was, was the man standing next to David's side. Then there was Shammah, and Shammah, he came up against against uh, the, the, the armies of, of, uh, of the Philistines. And as they came up against them, again the entire army fled. And, and there Shema is standing in a field of lentils. Why it records that he was standing in a field of lentils? Maybe he needed a snack somewhere along the line. I'm not sure. But he was standing in a field of lentils. And he comes up against this entire army. And as he comes up against this entire army, it says he fought off single-handedly the entire army all by himself, to the point where he could no longer raise his sword. Now, keep in mind, this guy wasn't in IT. He didn't sit behind a desk all day. It wasn't like he needed some oomph into his arms. He, he looked like a, one or two guys in this church where, where, I mean, he was swinging a sword all day long. I reckon this guy was the boyki of boykies. I reckon that he was huge. And at that point, he could no longer raise his sword anymore. That is how valiantly he fought. And in all of these situations, it says, and God gave them a great victory that day. So these weren't men who were bloodthirsty. These were men that were standing up for what's right. These were men that were standing up for God and standing up for what's right. So David led men who had the courage to take a stand. And he fought side by side, as we see in the story of Eliezer, with them 
as they slayed giants. We know the story of Benaiah. We've, we've preached it here before. He was one of the 30. We know that he, he, he slayed two Moabite giants all by himself. And as these men slayed giants, how, 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 how was, 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 was David um, encouraging these men to slay giants and to, to stand for what's right? Because the truth is, folks, David slayed a giant of his own, and we know it well, Goliath. But at the same time, before that, David recognized that here's a man who gets up every morning and screams at the nation of Israel, the army of Israel, and says, you are dogs. You're no good. I will rip you apart, limb from limb. You have no chance against me. And who is this God that you serve anyway? He's impotent. Look at me. And ultimately, David gets up and as the entire army of Israel goes and cowers in their tents, David is the man who takes a stand. He steps up and he says, who is this man who defies my God? Who is this man? who defies my God. And David goes and he stands up for what's right. David had an opportunity to power up against Saul. There was a moment where, where he had Saul dead to rights and he could have taken him out and he chose not to. Why? Because he decided to not set himself in charge, but allow God to do it. That's probably the most courageous thing that I've ever seen in the life of David was that one moment. Never mind slaying giants and, 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 and. And it all started with a lion and it all started with a bear. where he had to take courage against, to us that's still pretty huge. But if you look in the context of his life at the small fry. He had to take out a lion. He had to take out a bear. He had to gain courage in those moments. Take courage in those moments. And folks, it's from this point. It's from this list of experience that David has the authority to come and look at Solomon and say, my boy, take strength. Take courage. Be strong. Be courageous. But where did David draw his courage from? Where did he draw his courage from? There's this characteristic that was spoken of throughout the life of David. Even the man who set himself up as David's arch enemy, Saul. At one stage in Saul's life, even Saul could recognize it in the life of David and said it. In 1 Samuel 18 verse 12, it says this, Saul was then afraid of David. So what had happened was Saul calls David in to come and play his harp because evil spirits are bothering him and tormenting him. So he calls David in. David plays the harp. These things freak out. He gets jealous of David, throws a spear at David. David dodges and runs away, and it happens twice. And after these things had happened, it said this. It said, Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with David. And had turned away from Saul. And the important phrase in that little scripture right there is, The Lord was with David. If you go read throughout the, the scriptures on, on, on David, it's a common phrase that we find throughout scripture. And the Lord was with David. Where did David draw his strength from? Where did he draw his courage from? 
The fact that God was with him. The fact that God was with him. I hope we don't miss that today, folks. The fact that God was with David, that is where he drew his courage from. That is where he drew his strength from. So, you and me, 2019, how do we ensure that God is with us and that we can draw courage from that moment? Some of you are sitting there going, hey, God's always with us, and I agree. His word says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. God's always with us. But I want to say this, is that you and me, we can decide ourselves out of the will of God. He's with us, but we can decide ourselves out of his will. How how do we do that? It's simple. It starts with two words. I want. I want. I can decide myself out of the will of God with I want. I want that business deal. Doesn't matter who it'll hurt. Doesn't matter who it'll, who it'll screw over. It doesn't matter what cost. I want that business deal and I will do whatever I need to to get it. I want. I want that title. I want that position. A little closer to home. I want that motorcycle. I want that motorcycle. Very nice motorcycle. I think it's Jason's. Very nice, dude. I want that motorcycle. This isn't aimed at Jason, I'm sure. I know Jason, so he won't take offense to what I'm about to say. But but isn't it the truth? I, I want that motorcycle. You know, oh Lord, will you bless me with that motorcycle? In fact, I'm just doing that so that I'm covered because I'm going to do whatever I want, whatever I need to, to get that motorcycle. And then we meet up with our mates and it's like, oh, the Lord blessed me with this motorcycle. No, actually the bank manager manipulated a couple of things to put you in the green so that you could get a beautiful lot of debt and live in that for stupid amounts of time. And God's just looking at it going, I actually didn't have any part to play in this. Why? Because somewhere along the line, he's like, if you want, you get. I want that thing. (laughs) And I'll do whatever I need to, to get it. I can choose myself out of the will of God. I want that guy's wife i want that woman's husband and i will do whatever i need to to get them so we can choose ourselves out of the will of god but here's the good news folks before i give you the good news outside of his will is outside of his covering did you get that outside of his will is outside of his covering And the good news is that we don't have to live there. We don't have to stay there. If anything that I've just said here kind of hits home for you and you're sitting there going, freak, you know, I know that I kind of got involved in that. We don't have to live there. We don't have to stay there. Why? Because all it takes is a repentant heart. Repent. Just say, Lord, I am sorry. I'm sorry that I wanted 
I'm sorry that I followed through. I'm sorry that I did whatever I needed to, to get what I wanted. Lord, I'm sorry for this. And I choose right now to surrender my will to you, Lord. Not my will, but yours be done. And right now I'm choosing to do a 180 degree turn and go and live the way that you have designed and destined for me to live. That's what I choose now. It's as simple as that. We don't have to get stuck there. It's time for us to get back in line with God's will. So, having gone off on a little bit of a tangent there, um, coming back to the story of, of, of David, for us to be found in this place, for why David was found in a place where, where it said, and, and God was with David. There are two things in David's life that I believe positioned him in a place that's, that, that people throughout Scripture spoke of David and said, and they could see that God was with David. Two things. Humility and being quick to repent. When you look at the life of David, those are two things that always stand out to me. David was humble. And David was quick to repent. He kept a short account with God. An example of, of, of David's humility connects to our story where David wants, I want to build you a temple, Lord. I want to build you a temple. And God says, you got too much blood on your hands. It's not going to happen. I'll let your son build it. And David could have thrown his toys. He could have been super upset and said, I don't give her up what you want. I want and I'm going to do it. And life would have looked very different for David. But instead, David approaches God with humility. And he says, okay, if I'm not the guy, then I'm going to get all the materials ready. I'm going to get everything ready for this temple to be built. That's how I can assist. That's how I can help. But in the moment where God says to him, no, David doesn't arch up his back and kick against God and go and do his own thing. There's a prayer that he prays that's recorded in the book of 1 Chronicles 17. And I want to read it to you because this is, this is what the heart of humility looks like. David prays to God and he says this, Who am I, O Lord? If it was some of us, and, and at times myself included, that prayer might have started with, Who do you think you are, God? But he doesn't. He says, who am I, O Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me thus far? And now, O God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving me your servant a lasting dynasty? You speak as though I was someone very great. O Lord God. What more can I say about you, about the way you have honored me? And then he just goes on to praise God and to, and to speak of his goodness in his life. And then he carries on and he says, And now, O Lord, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. May it be a promise that will last forever. And then catch this. And may your name, not my name, may your name be established and honored forever. 
And here David approaches God in absolute humility and says, Lord, who am I that you would even consider me? Who am I that you would even look at my family favorably? Thank you, Lord. And God just turned him down for something. When last did we respond to God in that way? Second thing was that he was quick to repent. When David messed up, he was quick to repent. Probably the most famous of these was his moment with Bathsheba, where he saw Bathsheba without a Sheba on and ended up doing all sorts of stuff that he shouldn't have. And as a result, they had a bun in the oven, so he sets out to kill Uriah, her husband, to cover his own shame. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and says to him, God's seen what you've done. He's not pleased. I mean, he tells him a whole story, but that's the gist of it. And David doesn't try and justify himself. He doesn't stand before the prophet and say, that wasn't me. I didn't do it. He doesn't, he doesn't try and deflect. He doesn't blame other people. He doesn't go onto Google and find five reasons why it's actually okay to do this. He doesn't do any of that. He literally drops to his knees and he repents before God. And David happened to keep a journal and we have the awesome privilege of having our hands on David's journal. And it's captured in the book of Psalms. And he captured the prayer that he prayed of repentance before God in that moment. And it's found in Psalm 51. And I just want to read parts of his prayer to God in that moment where he just falls before him broken in repentance. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out my Uh, the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just lord purify me from my sin and i will be clean wash me and i will be whiter than snow creating me a clean heart oh god renew a loyal spirit to me folks that doesn't sound like self-justification that sounds like true repentance He was quick to repent. It didn't take two weeks for him to reach this point. In the moment, he dropped to his knees and he said, Lord, forgive me. I've done this. And as a result, because David walked in humility and because David was quick to repent, the Bible records his life as being a man after God's own heart. I wonder this morning, folks, Are you a man after God's own heart? Are you a woman after God's own heart? Do you walk in humility? Are you quick to repent? I can ask the same questions of myself. And because David was walking in humility and quick to repent and he was a man after God's own heart, that is why the word says that God was with David. 
And I believe that when we stop and, and we start walking in humility and we are quick to repent, when we start becoming men and women after God's own heart, I believe that it's in that moment that we draw our courage. That we draw our courage. Because now I'm not doing it with my own authority. It's not Ramon saying to the principalities of darkness, to the enemy of my soul, to, to the situations that I face. It's not Ramon saying, hey, done with you. Because if it was my own authority, what power would there be? No, when we walk in humility before God and when we are quick to repent before God and, and when we are men and women after God's own heart, then I believe it's in that moment that we can actually go right back to the words of David when he looked um, Goliath in the eyes and we can stop and look our own giant in the eyes and say, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And, they, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God active and alive in my life today. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But not with a sword and a spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you into our hands. Do we have that confidence? It's not flesh and blood, folks. It's through his spirit. I believe we can draw our courage when we recognize that the words that David spoke to Solomon all those years ago still apply to our lives today. They cross the pages of history. They go from the pages of the Old Testament through the cross and into our lives today where David would look at you and me and he would say, be strong and be courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, your God is with you and he will not fail you and he will not forsake you. And we either believe it or we don't. And I believe that when we look at this and take it for ourselves, that that is where we draw our courage from, not from our gut, but from our Christ. That is where we draw our courage from. See, folks, I believe that as we looked at those definitions right in the beginning, we can see that courage is not an emotion. Fear is an emotion. Courage is not an emotion. Courage is an action. Courage is an action. So many times we sit around and we wait to conjure up courage. Oh, Lord, give me courage. Let me, let me, like, Hype myself, myself up. Let me put the, the right music on and let me do this. And let me do that. And if I do this, maybe the courage will... No. No, courage is a step that I have to take. It is an action that I have to take. If I can redefine courage from our definition that we used earlier, 
and putting that into the filter of everything that we've just said. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the acknowledgement that God is who He says He is and that He will do what He said He'll do. And that He is with you. In short, courage is action taken because of who God is. Right now, I'd like to ask for the ushers to, to come and serve our folks with communion. If you would do that, if I could have the worship team up here as well, I think that will be great. I'm going to ask that as we are served with communion, that you just hang on to your elements. I, I'd, I'd love for us to take communion together. Um, Victor, your guys can start um, serving the folks. Thank you. This morning, when you think of courage, there may be certain scenarios, certain situations that, are, that may be coming up in your own life. Areas of fear that you may have been struggling with. Areas of doubt. Areas of hurt. It may be a relational struggle that you've faced somewhere along the line. It may be a job situation that's turned south and, and maybe you've lost your job and thank you. And you're needing a new job and you feel like you need to take certain steps of courage. Maybe it's a relationship with your children that you're struggling with and you're feeling like there's certain steps of courage that needs to happen. Maybe it's a relationship with a friend. Maybe it's a relationship with a spouse. Maybe it's a dream that you've had and you've been holding on to this dream for decades. And you've drawn up plans and you've, you've done all sorts of things, but, but you've never followed through on it. And, and you feel like there's just a certain breakthrough within courage, that, kind of that first step that you need to take in order for that thing to, to, to become realized in, in your life. We, we all have our moments of courage. We all have our own version of Goliath. But this morning, I, I believe with all my heart, before we can step into that space, before we can, we can go there, I believe that there's a first step to courage. I believe with all my heart that there is a first step to courage. It's not drawing up a business plan. It's not digging deep into my gut. It's not trying to conjure something up to find courage. But this morning, I believe with all my heart that those first steps to courage are humility and being quick to repent. Walking in humility with our God and being quick to repent. If I can say this, I believe that the first step to taking courage 
to being strong, to being courageous. It's for us to look at our lives, examine them thoroughly and say, Lord, my greatest desire is to be a man after your own heart. Lord, the greatest desire in my life is to be a woman after your own heart, Lord. Lord, there's so much in my life that distracts me. There's so much in my life that, that, that wants to steal my attention. There's so much in my life that, that wants to create a fear that immobilizes me, Lord. And Lord, I recognize that I need that courage to be able to move forward in spite of fear, not because of the absence of it, but through fear to still be able to move forward, Lord. Lord, in this morning, I, I, I want to acknowledge Lord, that I, I gain courage not because of what I have inside of me, Lord, but I can gain courage because of who you are in my life, Lord. But Father God, I, I also recognize that in order for this to be, Lord, Lord, I want to be known as yours. I want to be known as a man or a woman after your own heart, Lord. And this morning, you may be there. You may be in a place where you're saying, Ramon, I need to take that first step of courage. I need to take that first step of courage. And as you have your, your elements in your hands, we've got the blood of Christ and we've got the body of Christ that was broken for us. His, His, His blood that washes away our sin. This morning, I believe we want to come and seal this thing this morning i believe that what we're talking about here is a public declaration of saying lord today i choose to publicly state that from today onwards i, I desire to be a man after your own heart I choose to be a, a woman after your own heart lord i choose to walk in humility lord lord and i choose to keep a short account of you lord i don't want to run a tab I want to keep this account short, Lord, and be quick to repent, Lord. If that's you this morning, if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to put strength to your ankles, put strength to your knees, put strength to your hips, send that strength to your back, into your backbone. Stand to your feet and say, that is me. I, I, I want to be God's man. I want to be God's woman from today onwards. I want to be known as His and, and I want to keep my account short. I want to walk in humility with Him. And I want to seal that through communion this morning. Please don't stand because other people are standing. Let's just do business with God this morning. It's not about the people around us. It's never about the people around us unless it's the example that we're setting. Father God, as men and women are standing in this auditorium, Lord, Lord, you know what's going on in each heart. You know what's going on in each life, Father God. Lord, in this morning, we come and we commit these lives to you, Lord. We commit each and every life to you, Lord. Individually, we take responsibility for our own lives, Lord. Lord, we choose to not play the blame game, Lord. We choose to not, to not send, deflect the blame. We choose to not try and, and make out as if someone else is responsible for this, Lord. But as David said, Lord, it's me. And it's against you that I have sinned, Lord. Lord, in this morning, I, I just say, Lord, I want to be quick to repent, Lord. 
Lord, I want to walk in humility before you, Lord. Not puffing myself up. Not trying to make myself as important, Lord. Not trying to make myself bigger than what I am, Lord. But Father God, recognizing that I will be nothing more than a disciple, but I will never be anything less than your child. So Father God, this morning, my life is yours. I choose to take my courage in you as I become known as a man, as I become known as a woman after your own heart. We thank you for your body that was broken for us, Lord, as we seal this this morning as a public declaration, Lord. Thank you for your body that was broken for us, Lord. Lord, that you were beaten and bruised for our sin, Lord. Lord, and as we do this, we thank you for our freedom. We thank you for our liberty that we can find in you. We thank you, Lord. That you are with us. And we eat this in remembrance of you. Lord, as we take this cup, Lord, we thank you that your blood washes away our sin, Lord. And as we're standing here and you, you're reminding us of stuff, Lord, I thank you that we keep a short account with you right now, Father. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my sin, Lord. Forgive me for my selfishness, Lord. Lord, forgive me for dishonoring you, Lord. Forgive me for sinning against you and you alone, Lord. Lord, and I thank you that your blood covers all our sin. Lord, and makes us right with you and righteous before you, Lord. As we drink this, we do this in remembrance of you. Lord, I thank you for the step that men and women have taken this morning. Lord, I thank you that it's not just some little action that we take in church, Father God, but I thank you that it becomes a reality in our lives, that when men and women look at us, Father God, Lord, they will not see the characteristics of this world that we live in, Lord. Selfishness, envy, greed, all these things, Father God. Self-seeking natures that just want to ooze out all the time, Lord. But that when men and women that we live with, Lord, that we, that we do business with, Father God, that are in our families, Lord, that are in our workplace, that are in our social circle, circles, the teller at the spa, Father God, the petrol attendant, Father God, every person that we come into contact with, Father God, that we will be known as men and women after your own heart, Father. That men and women will look at us and not see us, but that they will see Jesus. So may we go out into our daily lives and go and be an accurate representation of who you are. We celebrate you. We lift you high. And we thank you for this all. In Jesus' name, and if you agree with me, just say amen. 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 Thank you for being with us this morning. It's great having you with us. Please don't run away. We've got good coffee and good fellowship. We've got a free coffee right there. And uh, please spend some time with us. Beyond that, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week. Go with the blessing of God.